0: The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you compelling interviews, market analysis, and we're breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, we'll help you make sense of the recent market volatility. Plus, we'll talk about the latest developments in actively managed ETFs. As the age-old debate over active versus passive rages on, could the tide finally be turning? We'll be talking with Holly Framstead, head of ETFs at Capital Group, along with Dave Nautic, director of research at ETF Trends. Holly, Capital Group set to launch its first six ETFs tomorrow, uh, Tomorrow, all of them actively managed, all launched down here at the New York Stock Exchange. Capital Group's relatively late comer to the ETF space. Can you tell us why now?
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Bob. And I actually believe our time in market is just perfect. You know, we don't launch funds very often. And when we think about bringing a new ETF or a new vehicle to market, it's really about listening to our clients and understanding if we can deliver on their expectations in the vehicles that they're asking of us. Recent regulatory change has meant that we now believe we are positioned to package capital groups, time-tested, actively managed strategies in the ETF vehicle. And so when we think about the products that we'll be listing on the New York Stock Exchange tomorrow, we will be bringing six funds to market that really fit a majority of the major asset allocation building blocks. They're designed to sit squarely at the core of a client portfolio and ultimately simplify the investment process for countless financial advisors and end investors.
1: You know, when I look at these, um, they're very much like actively managed mutual funds that you already run, but not quite. There's a little bit of difference. There's three equity strategies that invest primarily in the U.S. You've got two equity strategies that cover international and global, and you've got a fixed income core plus strategy, but a little bit different than the the mutual funds. How are they different? And why don't you just clone them into the ETF space like some other mutual fund providers already have?
0: Yeah, it's it's a really important question, I think, particularly um, as we've seen the ETF industry evolve. And I'll go back to the investor, because really when we think about product development, we really take an investor-first mindset. And what we heard from our clients is that they were looking for expanded choice from Capital Group. They wanted more ways to access our time-tested strategies to access the capital system. And so we chose to launch ETFs that would complement, not clone our American funds, because in the end, we believe that that's bringing greater choice to the market.
1: You know, Dave, uh, in a world where many of these ETF fund groups are focused on the shiny objects you and I cover all the time, like thematic tech, Um, Capital Group is doing something different. They're sort of sticking to this actively managed core strategy. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I, I do think it is a differentiator here. A lot of the active management we've seen has been, as you put it, shiny objects, thematic tech, clean energy, things like that. This is really active at the core. And for a lot of advisors, this is something they're pretty comfortable with. I do, of what you were saying, Bob, I think is very interesting. You, know, you can go out and buy Growth Fund of America as a mutual fund. Every financial advisor in the country can do that. It's on you know, practically half the 401 k plans in the United States. However, these are different, right? They're interesting ETFs at the core. And you know, because they're ETFs that aren't direct clones, it means that it can take advantage of things like some of the tax loss, uh, the, the tax lot management that that ETFs can really benefit investors with. And it also means that they don't have to worry quite so much about liquidity issues. So I think there's a lot here for folks to grab onto. I think it's worth pointing out, too, that these are coming in pretty cheap, right? I mean, I think the weighted average expense ratio is a bit under around 40 basis points. That puts it in the bottom quintile of actively managed equity ETFs, right? 400 of the 500 active ETFs we have in the market right now that are tracking equities are over 50 basis points in fees.
1: Yeah. You know, Hallie, what, what about those uh, different fees here? So I'm looking at the fees you're charging here uh, for some of these. There's six of them. 33 to 54 basis points, it looks like, for these actively managed ETFs. But th- th- these are all lower fees than you're charging for the mutual funds that are out there. Are you at all concerned about that competition you're setting up with your own uh, funds here? These are cheaper, as, as uh, Dave points out.
0: Well, I think uh, an interesting point is when we think about pricing our products in the market, we're focused on the competitive landscape. And as an organization, we have um, had a a legacy of delivering very low cost active management. We strive to be in the lowest quartile among peers with every product that we bring to market. And so with these, these ETFs, we will be priced in the lowest quartile and some even the lowest decile among competitors in this space. Our mutual funds and our ETFs are priced um, actually very similarly if you look at kind of common share classes here. So we don't believe there's a very big disparity here. And again, when I think about the ETF, it's about increasing choice for clients that prefer the vehicle. Um, We think there's a place for both mutual funds and ETFs in our client portfolios.
1: And you're, you're choosing to stay in the core active management space. I'm just I- intrigued because Dave and I love covering shiny objects, <laughs> thematic tech and things like that. Uh, but things like factor investing, for example, another sort of differentiator out there. But you're sort of sticking in this, this core space. Is that because that's where you feel your competency is, or those other spaces are too trendy, or, or maybe that'll happen in the future? I'm just giving me a sense of where you're going to go with Capital Group in the ETF space.
0: Yeah, so I think there are a, a couple interesting trends for us to look at here. Um, first, while a majority of the news that talks about ETFs is focused on, you know, Dave, what you call the shiny objects, where we look at investor flows and really client demand, it is for those core solutions in a portfolio. When you pair that with the fact that Capital Group's legacy is um, delivering or investment services for our clients. Um, We believe that we can package what we do best in this vehicle and actually be a differentiator. You're right, these aren't intended to be shiny objects. They're intended to sit at the core of a portfolio. And at the end of the day, I think what that accomplishes is it helps financial advisors and individual investors cut through the sea of complexity and choice that's available in the ETF landscape and really get back to basics at the heart of their asset allocation process, which is really what matters most. So, and and
2: David, go ahead. I I was just gonna say one thing that we should point out here is that this is sort of the last of the big managers to enter the ETF space, right? I mean, they're, they're one of the only, the only $3 trillion plus manager out there that hasn't been in the space, right? Roughly the same size as Goldman as an asset manager or JP Morgan, folks that have been in the space for quite a while. So that means they're coming to market with an audience, right? There are folks out there who are avid believers in the capital group process, right? That combination of individuals and teams working together. That's not a new idea. This is a 1930s idea that's just finally showing up in the ETF wrapper.
1: Yeah, and it seems, Dave, like there's a lot of different motivations uh, for fund families to get into the ETF wrapper, and we're seeing that you know, here today. They're not always the same. Like, elaborate on some of these different motivations. You, you, you think like, the main concern would be you want to make sure that you still have people who are coming into your family overall and people are into the ETF space, but it's, it's not just about making sure you're maintaining market share, right?
0: Well, I, I think for us it's about recognizing that um, we can expand the clients that we're able to service by offering our strategies in the vehicles of choice for them. I think that there are a number of existing Capital Group clients for whom there are taxable pools of assets uh, where they'd appreciate the ETF as a vehicle of choice. Um, We have heard from our investors that they would like to add to their investment with Capital Group via increased vehicle choice. And if we look at how we've developed um, and brought new services to market in the past, we had a similar experience with separately managed accounts, where when we launched the separately managed account business, what we found is that financial advisors that invested via SMAs with us actually subsequently did more mutual fund business because we were offering choice in how they accessed our strategies, and that made us a more relevant partner for them in their businesses. We believe ETFs will enable us to deliver the same to our existing clients and then also, of course, expand access to clients for whom the ETF vehicle is preferred.
1: Right. So you're you're known for active management. Um, American funds are famous for that. Um, and these are all active management. But as we've talked about before, the bulk of the money in ETFs is still going into the passive strategy. Even now, in the first six weeks of 2022, the bulk of money is still going into passive strategies. Um, Looking into the future, is there any consideration to getting into the index space where a lot more money, maybe it's not as profitable, but a lot more assets under management are potentially available?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually going to reframe your statistic because I think that there's a bit of a confounding effect here. A bulk of the money in ETFs, I believe, are going to core solutions. I think investors in the ETF vehicle are really looking for those core building blocks. A majority of those have been indexed. So certainly we've seen assets move toward index management. But I think it's a, I think it's investors speaking to where and how they want to allocate money versus the investment style. So when we think about Capital Group's 90-year legacy of delivering above-market returns for our clients, we really believe that active management is at the heart of who we are as an organization, and that's why our entrance into the ETF marketplace is really squarely focused on active management and not index management.
1: Yeah, and, and, and Dave, I, I guess Holly's right if she considers like an S&P fund, uh, uh, you know, a core fund uh, or a, a, a core investment strategy, because uh, that's where still most of the money is going at this point. Can you just characterize some fund flows for us uh, in the last six or eight weeks? Because I'm getting that question all the time. Where yeah, Where sure. is the money going?
2: Yeah, so I mean, it has been going to that core, right? We haven't seen a dramatic shift here in the last six weeks that we saw last year. About 10% of the money is going into actively managed products. That's about what we saw last year. We're running at about something like 15 billion year to date into active ETFs here. So, you know, really, I think this is a stick to your knitting kind of market where we've seen a lot of folks allocating in. We haven't seen really dramatic shifts in the flows picture that would make you think, for instance, that everybody's running for the hills or everybody's piling in and buying the dip. It's been pretty consistent. That actually, to me, feels very, very healthy.
1: Yeah, I think the, the important thing, Holly, is you are now firmly established in the ETF space, in that, in that core space. And the question here is, now that you've got that core built around you, where else can you go? Are, do, are there other, I know I've asked you this before, but are there other ambitions? You're such a big company, it seems like there's natural room for you to move and breathe a little bit more here. Now that you've got these core uh, ETFs that are out there, um, it, it, are you going to simply stick to that strategy and, and just manage those six right now? Or are you going to do like you know, Schwab did and others and just try to expand out from there and see what the market is like?
0: Yeah, so the the six ETFs that we'll list tomorrow are absolutely our entrance into the marketplace, but this isn't where it ends for us. If you look across the services um, that we are launching in this initial suite, they cover a majority of the largest asset allocation building blocks, but not all of them. All of the equity services have a, you know, a roughly large and mid-cap universe to them, and we only have one fixed income offering in this initial suite. So we anticipate, again, continuing to listen to feedback from our clients, continuing to take feedback now that we're out in market, um, and respond to investor needs. And so I, I expect that the product lineup will continue to expand, but we're going to take a very patient approach to that and ensure that we're incorporating new product development um, with the lens of an investor in mind and incorporating their feedback.
1: And how do you respond to this age-old debate of active versus passive? We, we, we all know the, the studies. We, we've seen the, the S&P studies. Uh, that come out, the SPIVA annual reports, that over long-term, most active fund managers do not outperform their benchmarks, certainly over long periods of time. Uh, Ten years, 85% don't outperform. What do you tell the naysayers? You're famous for active managers. You've been around a long, long time uh, doing this. What what do you say to the naysayers who say, well, you know, frankly, uh, the evidence is uh, just staying in an index fund is probably a better long-term strategy. How, How do you respond to those arguments?
0: I think there are a lot of valid ways to invest and capital group with our fundamental bottoms up selection process and our multiple portfolio manager system has a 90 year legacy of delivering superior investment results for our clients so I think our track record really speaks for itself. And that is why we have a loyal investor base of $2.6 trillion of assets under management. So I, I think there's a place for both active and index in a portfolio. But really, at its core, we believe that we can deliver actively for our clients and, and have a track record of doing so. Yeah.
2: Well, and, Holly, and, and Bob, want, remember, we've go got ahead, 800 babe. actively managed ETFs now, right? I mean, that, that ship yeah. has long since sailed. It's you know roughly a quarter of the industry. Yes, and we keep talking
1: about the year of active management day, but we did we did that in 2018 and 2019, and we did 2020 as the year of ESG. And you know, we're constantly reproclaiming the year of active management here, and we're going to retire you and I on that idea that 2025 is the year of active management. But I watch the fund flows, not not the fa- not the number of funds, and you do too, and you still see where you know the bulk of the money still goes. The, the debate goes on. I, I, you know, you and I have been talking about this for many years. I love. Active management, I think it's very important for people to have choice. And I agree with Holly completely about this. People need choice, but, you know, you and I watch what goes on here and how difficult it is to outperform the market. And this, there's very fundamental reasons why it's difficult to outperform uh, the market. But, I'm, uh, Holly, I'm pleased, Capital Group, as, as, as Dave said, you were of the last holdouts. Uh, that uh, big, big, fun family uh, getting into the ETF space, and uh, I want to congratulate you and Capital Group, and we look forward to having you on. Again, uh, in the future. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs with the Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today, we'll be continuing the conversation with Dave Nautic from ETF Trends. Uh, Dave, thanks for sticking around and chatting a little bit more. I wanted to talk about recent trends and what's going on with the markets, Uh, obviously it's been fairly volatile in the last several weeks. Um, Does anything stick out to you in particular? For example, I've seen an awful lot of trading uh, in commodity ETFs, uh, not just uh, equity commodity ETFs like the XLE, uh, but some of the more active commodity ETFs in general like USO uh, and uh, some of the uh, broad agricultural commodity ETFs like DBA. Uh, Mm -hmm. as well. Any thoughts on this? This seems to be a lot of obviously speculative activity around how far you can push oil stocks and how far you can push commodity stocks like wheat, for example.
2: Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of activity, uh, as you point out, speculative activity in the inflation-sensitive sectors, right? We're seeing that not just in things like USO, obviously, which are really obvious vehicles, but um, KRBN is one that I've been spending a lot of time, the Crane Shares Carbon Credit ETF, Um, I've been spending a lot of energy focused on that because I think that's one of the more interesting transition pieces. So I think we've got a little combo platter here of traders really trying to play the headlines with ETFs, which is a tale as old as time. They're going to do that. We can't stop them. They're great for that if you're really into that game. But we've also got these folks looking for longer term allocations you know, to live in a world where we have $100 oil, to live in another couple of years where we have this kind of geopolitical unrest. So we are seeing a lot more interest in those types of plays. But you know, you bring up the inflation stuff, we've just seen a raft of these inflation fighter ETFs launch. They seem to be getting a decent amount of traction. Um, you know, uh, our friend John Davie from Astoria launched his uh, a little while ago. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting trend. I'm not sure how well those are going to do overall, because obviously targeting inflation is a little tricky. If it was easy, everybody been doing it. be doing it. Um, so I think for most people, commodities are going to be the key play.
1: Yeah, it makes some sense. And uh, it was very interesting yesterday to watch the XLE, which is the Energy Stocks ETF. It's the Energy Stocks in the S&P. Um, it's been up 30% in six weeks, uh, opened up big, it's multi-year high, and then dropped 7%. Now, when you see the entire energy complex move 7% in a single day after going up 30%, that's a sign of, to me, confusion. That's a sign where traders are not sure if they can push this stuff up much further than that. Uh, And some are obviously taking profits. So this is where it's really fun to watch the ETF space, because you can watch in real time how actively Speculative traders are making bets. And when you see something move 30% in six weeks and then it moves 7% opening and then bottom down uh, in a single day, I mean, that is a sign of you know, traders not sure what's going on, not sure how they can push it.
2: My point is, yeah, there's an ETFs e- are incre-
1: instructive to watch
2: absolutely right they they're the best sentiment indicator we have of you know the moment to moment vagaries of investors that 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 exist right um the challenge is always that in that pool of trading that we're watching include Uh, hedge funds and mom and pop, uh, you know, Robin Hood individual traders and advisors managing multi-billion dollar books of business, all of whom have very different objectives, right? So that's the thing I always try to remind folks of when we have these moments of crisis like this, where we're in the middle of a downturn, when you're looking at the tape and you're seeing all this movement, remember that every investor class in the world is playing in these ETFs at the same time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, yes, they're not... these are speculative trades. And what's also interesting, you can see, is sudden explosion in trading activity in very obscure country ETFs. So the last sure. couple of days, Turkey, uh, Russia, Taiwan ETF yep. has been extremely active as well. So, again, you can read the minds of the, of the speculative trading community and see exactly what they're doing here just by following you know, the volume.
2: Yeah. To some extent, there's a there's a little bit of a greater fool question there, right? I mean, I saw that what was going on in Taiwan, right? That's a bit of a, well, is Taiwan the next Ukraine trade? I think a lot of what we saw was people trying to position ahead of something there, rather than actually making an economic bet on something that's going on. Turkey, obviously, same type of issue as well. I think anything associated with Eastern Europe is going to be catching those sort of speculative moments here and there, because, obviously, we don't know how seriously to take Putin at his word that he's trying. TRYING TO EFFECTIVELY REUNITE THE U.S.S.R.
1: Yeah, LET ME MOVE ON AND ASK YOU ABOUT ESG, ENVIRONMENTAL, Mm -hmm. SOCIAL AND GOVERNANCE, OUR FAVORITE TOPIC OF 2020 AND and A GOOD PART OF 2021. It, IT SEEMS LIKE THE INFLOWS, WHICH WERE TITANIC IN 2020 AND A GOOD PART OF 2021, HAVE slowed dramatically. Does this mean anything? Does this mean that uh, the bloom is off the rose of this, or is it just a sign of the volatility recently? Is there anything to read
2: into this? I think it's way too much to overread into the flows. Honestly, even for a week or two, I think it's too much to read. The performance has come off a little bit in this year so far. If you look at, say, SUSL, which is the iShares Leaders ETF, or DSI, which is the the sort of older version of that, they're both trailing the S&P so far year to date. I'd point out if you look at them on a reasonable time frame, like, say, the last year, they're still beating the S&P 500. So the idea that somehow there's a performance thing that's fallen off I don't really buy. In terms of flows, I think a lot of the flows we saw in the, the fourth quarter was, frankly, advisors positioning portfolios so they could talk about their ESG allocations and their annual reviews. And obviously, that's done, right? So you know, historically, February is not a, a big time when a lot of people do a big reallocation. So yeah. I, I wouldn't be shocked about this. If we close in towards, say, mid-April and we're seeing negative flows in ESG, then I think we have another conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, they're down. They're underperforming because they all own large-cap techs. They all own Microsoft and, and Apple and, and, and many of them and, don't own and Amazon. And,
2: and miss some of that run.
1: Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's it's all the flip it, side it. essentially they're quality funds. That's what's amazing to me. That, uh, to me, quality is high earnings, high margins, low debt, and uh, comparatively low debt. Uh, this is part of the problem I have with them. Uh, is it, trying to nail down a little bit more clearly about what ESG exactly means. Well, I don't n- know if you'll never gonna, get there.
2: You'll never get yeah. there, Bob. People are, are going to try to define ESG until we're long since retired, and it's going to mean something different to every person you ask. That's just the yeah. nature of what ESG is. is.
1: Is I know it's early. Is there anything else sticking out to you? I mean, I, it's it's hard to pick a trend here given the volatility that we're, we're seeing because the Ukraine crisis, I think, is distorting a lot of flows here. But is there anything that you can see for 2022 that uh, is on the horizon that's that's interesting at this point?
2: Well, I, I would point out that, you know, in the midst of this, this sort of drawdown that we've had here, I think a lot of people were like, Oh, this is when everybody's gonna sell everything and go to cash, right? As soon as we have some crisis that that, that chases the equity market away. What we've actually seen is the opposite. Like last week we had ten billion in flows into ETFs. Now that was a fairly risk-off week in the sense that we actually, you know, got got big flows in things like Vanguard's corporate bond fund and BNDX and some of those classic, you know, safety plays. But the money is still flowing net into ETFs, right? And I think we're going to continue to see that if this goes down another 10%. I think that will even accelerate. Because, Bob, as we've seen before, all that happens is people sell their underperforming mutual funds, and then they reallocate, whether that's in a safety moment or in a go-go growth moment, they reallocate into the ETFs, right? So it's just going to keep happening.
1: So that's an interesting observation, though. Your, your point is, it's almost like ETFs w- win no matter what. The market goes up, you get natural inflows, and the market goes down, people sell their mutual funds and buying into ETFs. You're sort of positioning it as a win-win for ETFs no matter what
2: happens. Uh, it it <laughs> is. Look at what happened in March. Look what happened in the global financial crisis. Look what happened in 2001. In each case, we have a big sell-off. And what happens? All that money shows up into ETFs. So I yeah. I, I don't see any reason to think that this time will be different. Okay.
1: Dave, I'm going to leave it there. I appreciate, as always, your insight into everything. Uh, and of course, Dave Noddick with ETF Trends and uh, about to be uh Sharing a very large ETF conference uh, in April, which we'll talk more about uh, in the coming weeks. And of course, I'll be there as well. Dave Noddick, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And everybody, thank you for watching and listening on the ETF Edge podcast.
0: Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.